Welcome to the Design 30 Podcast. In this podcast, I provide design strategies and tools to improve creativity, innovation, and overall design confidence. Today, we will be talking about mapping. And no, it's not about creating maps or about creating treasure maps, although that would be cool. Maybe I'll do an episode on that at some point. Who knows? Um, But in the context of design, mapping refers to a relationship between controls and their movements or effects. And that definition is from the universal principles of design. So as you can probably tell from the start, uh, this episode is more of a design tool slash strategy. Uh, I have taken or I've gotten to the end of the design more, despair less little series I did. However, I think the design more, despair less will probably be showing up here and there. I think it's kind of a, a good mindset to to carry forward throughout the podcast. So diving back into this design strategy, which is mapping. Uh, when it's well implemented, it greatly improves the usability of a product. Uh, Whenever you interact with a control of any kind, this could be a button or it could be a touchscreen or a wheel, anything like that, uh, you expect something to happen. But have you ever thought about why some controls are much, much easier than others? There seems to be some things that no matter how long you uh, interact with it maybe over the course of years you still always find yourself maybe half the time maybe more getting it wrong and for example flipping the wrong light switch and then trying another one another one and another one uh do you maybe it's something where you're always turning on the wrong burner on your stove i know that's also a, a common mistake because it's hard to tell which knob necessarily goes to which burner Uh, And for me, a big one is actually just locking my car doors from the inside. It's easy usually on on your dongle, on your keys, because obviously it has a symbol right there. One's bigger than the other. makes it pretty easy to to quickly memorize it. But inside of my vehicle, it's difficult to to know if you push the button forward, do you push it backwards? Uh, Why does one lock and the other unlock? It's not quite as intuitive. So typically, these are the result of poor or sometimes even non-existent mapping between controls and their effects. And one of the best ways, I think, to understand mapping is actually just by looking at more good examples and then also looking at some bad examples. So starting with the good, a really obvious easy one to start with is uh, your car steering wheel. It makes sense that as you turn your car steering wheel to the right, your front wheels will also turn to the right. And as you turn your car steering wheel the other direction, your front wheels follow that. So it's a really obvious one-to-one connection. Another example, sticking with cars, uh, you will find in this episode, I lean on cars pretty heavily. There's just so many different controls inside of one. And it's it's something we're all very familiar with. So I think I'm going to stay in that realm for the most part. Uh, but yeah, so looking at the volume controls in your car, 
it's pretty easy, especially uh, in my car, I have a volume button on my steering wheel and you push up to turn your volume up and you push down to turn your volume down. And it sounds really basic and simple, but if it was the opposite, it would actually be really confusing and you'd probably get it wrong a lot. But the fact that you push up for volume to go up and push down for volume to go down makes it really simple and easy to use. Another example is the volume wheel. You know, we all know that you turn it to the right, this turns your volume up, you turn it to the left, this turns your volume down. And this is more of a mapping that is a result of a similarity of meaning. It's something you're used to with a lot of, uh, whether it's your stereo in your car or stereo in your house, things like that. Um, it, there's a similar meaning that we all have from more of a cultural standpoint. And I'll dive into that a little bit more later on in this episode. Another good example is uh, the electric window control in your car. So it's really obvious. You push down on it and the window goes down. You pull up on it and the window goes up. And then another example, uh, a light switch that's actually located near the light it controls. This makes it really easy and simple to understand which light is going to turn on when you flip the switch. So that's an example of good, um, well, of good mapping of a control and the desired effect, which in that case is the light turning on. Another fairly simple example is just swiping on your phone. Uh, the screen, it follows your finger. You swipe to the right and it moves to the right, swipe to the left and moves to the left. They very easily could code it to do the opposite thing but how confusing would that be? Nobody would want that. You'd be, you know, eventually you'd get used to it and then you'd use another phone that didn't work that way and you'd be all turned around. So there's a lot of these very really simple aspects of all of these products we interact with on a day-to-day -day basis that we kind of just take uh, for granted for the most part. Uh, another really simple one that you probably take for granted all the time is your mouse movement on your computer when you move your mouse around. And it maps basically one-to-one, -one, or maybe not quite one-to-one, -one, but a little bit more than one-to-one. -one. You get a little bit more movement on your screen based on, or compared to how far you're moving your mouse. But it's very similar uh, from mouse to mouse, and it's it makes sense. You move it to the right, and the mouse on your screen moves to the right, and vice versa. However, however sometimes, maybe some of you have messed with this, but you can actually change the speed or that ratio between how far you move the mouse and how far it moves on your screen. And when that gets changed or messed up, it actually is really confusing. It makes it really hard to uh, click on anything. I mean, after about a minute or two, you get used to it, but it's little things like that we often take for granted. Uh, but there's a lot of design thinking and input that went into that, especially early on in the development of, for example, the mouse or your touchscreen iPhone. Uh, some bad examples of mapping, uh, going back to the electric window in your car, automatic window, there used to be ones, and sometimes maybe there still is, that you actually would push it forward or pull it backwards. It wasn't an up-down sort of thing, it was forward and backwards. And this is, I mean, maybe we guess that forward would push or move the window up and backwards would move it down. But it's not a direct relation. There's not a good mapping between the two. You don't necessarily know that forward is up and backwards is down. It, it could be opposite. So that's an example of 
bad mapping when it comes to the controls on your electric window. And then the other classic example is a stovetop. And this is one I'm sure you read about, see it in books. It's a very classic example. But the controls are all usually in a straight line on the back of the stove. And then all your burners are in a, a square pattern. So immediately when you look at it, you're not 100% sure which burner goes to which. Usually the two on the left and the two on the right map to, well, probably always map to the burners on the right and the left. Uh, but other than that, you don't know which one's front and back immediately. You don't know it just by looking at it. You have to read maybe the fine print on below the knobs or something like that. Where a lot of us, if you're like me, you just kind of do guess and check. You turn on one, oh, that's the wrong one. Whoops, grab another one, turn it on. Yep, that's right. Uh, and that's an example when you're having to do that, that perhaps the mapping wasn't well thought out on that product. The other one I mentioned it earlier, I think is a poor example of mapping is the lock and unlock button on your car. Now, how do you know which way is lock and how do you know which way is unlock? Usually there is some symbols on there which help you out. Uh, a lot of us like to work those by feel though. So it really just ends up being uh, memorization. And then sometimes there's what I would call some ambiguous mapping. It's not necessarily good and it's not necessarily bad. It really depends on the person. Uh, one example is scrolling on a computer. Uh, some people like to think of it as pushing or pulling the physical paper. For example, if you're scrolling through a Word document. So if you push up, the paper, what you're reading should actually move up because you're trying to read farther down on the page. But then other people think, well, if your fingers are moving up, then the page should also correspond with that direction. That's the direction you're trying to read or you're trying to go up in the document. So if you push up, the page should actually be moving down and it's kind of opposite. Uh, and so that's really just a, a preference. I think now it's more with more touch screens, kind of infiltrating all these different devices. We're more used to uh, the page basically just following your fingers. Uh, but when it's a scroll wheel on your mouse, it's a little bit different and a little bit more ambiguous. Another example is inverted controls on or in a video game. I know this is something most people I play with for, uh, let's say Halo, for example, they play with just the standard default controls. But some people really like inverted controls because it mimics a little bit more of a joystick in an airplane. So if you push the joystick forward, you're going to you're going to look up. And if you pull back on the joystick, you're going to look down. And that just makes intuitive sense to some people. But the default setting is more like you're on the top of the joystick, it's kind of the top of your head. So you push it forward and that pushes your eyes down and you pull it backwards and that pulls your eyes up. And that's what I'm used to, that makes a lot of sense to me, but I know there's a lot of people who don't like it that way. So again, that's a little bit of ambiguous mapping between the movement of the joystick and what happens on the screen. There are three types of mapping that uh, you should keep in mind whenever you're looking to implement this in your product design. The first one is similarity of layout. Second one is similarity of behavior. And the third one is similarity or similarity of meaning. So let's go through some examples of these. The first one, similarity of layout, 
I like to think of you're in the driver's seat of your car and all of your window controls are to your left and they're usually laid out in the exact same way that your windows and the car are laid out. So there's a two in the front, which is your driver's side and passenger side on the right. Well, driver's side on the left, passenger side on the right, and then your two back windows corresponding to the back seats and their windows. Again, this totally makes sense, uh, but it's a perfect example of the similarity of layout. The controls are laid out in a, almost exactly the same way or a very similar way as your windows. And just think about how confusing it would be if it wasn't laid out this way. For example, you could do it, I don't know why you would, but you could do it where the closest control to you is the one that controls your window, and the farthest one away from you is the one that controls the window farthest away from you. And that would be, you know, maybe there's some rationale there, but it'd be much more confusing. So laying it out in a similar way to the physical things, whatever they might be that you're trying to control, is a great way to improve your mapping on your product. And number two is similar, similarity of behavior. In this one, we already covered, uh, my example for this is the up and down of your volume control. So the behavior is you push up on the volume, and the volume goes up, and then you push down and the volume goes down. So your behavior matches uh, the effects of that control. Pretty simple. And then number three, similarity of meaning. This one's a little bit more, or probably deserves a little bit more uh, in-depth description. But the example I like to give on this one is the hazard light button in your vehicle. So first of all, this button is usually, ha uh, usually red, or at least has red lines. And red, you know, culturally, maybe universally, typically uh, refers to a warning or an emergency. So there right away you have this color which has a meaning to it. And then it also implements triangles and triangles are very frequently used for hazards. So this button turned on your hazard lights makes sense. There's a sim similarity of meaning between how the button is designed and between what you know in a lot of other contexts within your life. Another personal example for me is actually what I experienced when I moved into my current apartment. And I couldn't figure out how to turn on the gas fireplace. Uh, in my experience, a gas fireplace needs to have a thermostat or sometimes it'll have a little remote, something to turn it on. And there was neither of those. Uh, and there wasn't even any sort of switch or anything next to the fireplace to indicate that it was connected to it. So I had no way of knowing how to turn it on. And it turns out there's a light switch on an opposite, or not quite opposite, but a separate wall next to a bunch of other light switches. And this one just so happens to turn on the gas fireplace. So this is an example of a similarity of meaning done poorly. Because because in my mind, a light switch turns on a light. And I think in the, in the mind of most people, it's the same way. But in this case, that light switch turned on a gas fireplace, which is typically controlled by a thermostat. So there's, this is an example of lacking the simula similarity of meaning uh, that we typically understand or we expect from a light switch 
and what we expect, or at least what I expect, from a thermostat. As designers, how do we implement, or what does it mean to implement good mapping? Well, some of the takeaways from this episode so far should be that you should try to lay out controls in such a way that their locations correspond or relate to what they control. You also want to keep it simple. Uh, it's a good, uh, a good rule of thumb to avoid using one control for multiple functions. It's really hard to have good mapping when you approach it that way. You also wanna be aware of cultural norms and implications of colors and sounds and commands, all of those things within the culture. Because if you're using any of those to help map different controls, the culture is gonna be very important. Ultimately, what you want to do is make this control and effect relationship very predictable for the user. Now on to the design 30 discipline for the week. It's pretty simple. Just pay attention to controls. And if you do something wrong the first time you use that control, or perhaps you do something consistently wrong with that control, I want you to analyze the mapping of that control and the desired effect or the effect that you expect to happen. And take some notes on this. Where is the mapping being done well? And where is the mapping being done poorly? And finally, if you want to, send me some examples. Uh, that would be awesome. I'll throw them up on the Instagram, maybe talk about them in a different episode. So yeah, feel free to send those my way. And that's all I have to say on mapping. So you didn't learn how to create a treasure map, but hopefully you learned a lot more about how to implement good mapping in a design context or for designing products, anything like that. Um, before I close this episode out, I do want to mention that I have made some changes to my Patreon. I haven't talked about that a lot lately, but I do have a Patreon if you want to support the podcast. And one of the changes I made was to the lowest tier, you can now, if you sign up for that and you're a patron at the lowest tier, you'll of course have access to the paid version of my Substack, which that was already a benefit. But I also added this additional benefit where you will have the ability to reach out to me for uh, career advice or career advice in the realm of product design, anything like that. So you can always shoot me an email and I will respond to you and give you my input, my feedback on that as you're trying to navigate a career in product design. And then I also updated the middle tier and includes both of those benefits, but then also has this added feature of me providing design feedback as well as doing perhaps even user testing. So if you sign up for this middle tier, you can reach out to me over email and get feedback on your designs or go through some user testing. You could potentially even ship me a product if you want me to give you feedback on that. Uh, yeah, so I just wanted to point that out. So if you want to learn more, go ahead and find or visit my Design30 Patreon. And that is all the time I have uh, for this episode. Uh, real quick, I also just published a new sub a new Substack article. In that one, I dove in a little bit deeper into this idea of the problem, which I've 
discussed in the Design More, Despair Less uh, mini-series I did. So if you're interested in that, please subscribe to the Substack. And as always, give me a follow on Instagram if you're interested in keeping up throughout the week. And that is where I'm going to leave it. So as always, design more, despair less. Have a great week.